podcast where smart mobile marketers get even smarter. This is the fifth episode. In our first four episodes, we spoke to people who are delivering growth for their brands. For this episode, we're shifting focus. We're talking to someone who investigates and reports on the broader trends surrounding growth as a whole. My next guest, I'm so excited to speak to her, is a senior editor at Ad Exchanger. Before that, she worked for Direct Marketing News, and she doesn't just write about marketing tech, she's done it. She's been a senior digital strategist, she's been a web editor, and she has her master's in journalism from the Technological University of Dublin, which she says is her favorite place. And, and perhaps most important of all, she volunteers for New York Cares, an animal welfare organization. Allison Skiff, please say hello. Uh, hello. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. And it's wonderful to be on a podcast where I can ask the questions and somebody else can answer. I'm really not used to this. This is not my comfort zone. I'm used to asking the questions. <laughs> Excellent. We have you out of your comfort zone. Excellence and amazement has to proceed. So it's all good. First of all, tell us a little bit of your story. I, I gave a, a hint of it in the intro, but how did you end up where you are now? Um, yeah, it's um, it's a, li a little bit of a circuitous route. I, I spent a year living in Ireland and I, I got a degree in journalism while I was at it, um, mainly for the uh, for the crack, which is C-R-A-I-C. That's the uh, Irish word for fun. People will say, hey, what's the crack? Which means like, hey, I'm yeah. glad it's that kind of crack. Yes. You had me worried there for a no, second. No, I, I didn't go to Ireland for the uh, for the crack. <laughs> um, and then I, I got back in, in 2008. And um, I, I frankly, I spent most of a year unemployed watching um, blockbuster DVDs through the mail. Um, it was 2008. It was hard to get a writing job. And uh, then I started working as a medical copywriter. Uh, I wrote the back cover descriptions on medical textbooks. I had a stint writing about um, CPAs for the New York State Society of Certified Public Accountants. Uh, scintillating. Ah, so interesting. Um, and from there, it was uh, it was DM News, which I, I sad news. I, I recently just found out they they were shut down suddenly last week. It's a really sad thing. Oh. Um, I don't really know what happened. I assume it was financial, but I mean, I really learned a lot there. And I mean, before DM News, I, I wouldn't say I knew very much about marketing at all. And, you know, from, from there, it, it was to Ad Exchanger. And I've been here for about five and a half years. It's definitely the best job I've ever had. I mean, the subject matter is interesting. I meet really, I mean, super whip smart people. Nerding out is really smiled upon. And um, <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff we cover now is, I mean, it's in the national spotlight. It's in the national news. It's an exciting, it's really an exciting time. And we um, are kind of lucky to have this technical, like in-depth purview into how this industry works, an industry that, you know, regulators are poking into that that make that makes the, the cover of the New York Times. Yeah. Some of the platforms that we're probably going to talk about would be very happy if it was not national news. Yes. But... <laughs> They'd love to remain in the trades, but sorry. absolutely. So you have a really broad view of MarTech, AdTech, the whole ecosystem, what's happening. And it really does feel like you just mentioned that there's kind of an era of major change right now. There's lots up in the air. Um, it's in the public eye. There's this death of cookies, threat to the IDFA, increased legislation, increased demand for privacy. What are the major changes happening right now, in your opinion? I mean, so I, I feel like you just mentioned, um, you know, some of the, the greatest hits 
right now. And I mean, it, it feels like an era of major change because it is an era of major change. I mean, we're right on the cusp at least. Um, and, and what's interesting about all those, those issues you just, you mentioned, so death of cookies, the threat to the, um, to IDFA device IDs more generally, um, you know, call for, for more legislation, regulation, um, there, yeah, third party cookies on the way out. The, all of these roads lead directly back to, to privacy, um, and this just increasing concern and awareness of privacy and data security and data collection practices. And it's really a new normal, I think. And we're going to see all of those things, you know, reflected back to us in the amount and types of data that are available for targeting, you know, background location data, I think is on its way to just being straight up dead if it's not already dead, which is not a bad thing. Um, so, I mean, all of that is is kind of a backdrop, but I mean, there's still a lot of interesting stuff happening that is, you know, really in- innovative or like overdue. I'm hearing more about in-app bidding. It's taken, been taking a long time for publishers to, you know, start moving away from just the classic waterfall setup. It's still slow, but talking to, you know, developers and publishers here and there who are doing more with that. Um hearing people talk more about you know, incrementality. It was a really big topic at MAU in Las Vegas last year, which was my first MAU. Um, so oh, wow. Really awesome show. I'm definitely going to try and go back this year. You know, and, and this notion that growth is is great, but, you know, you've got to grow smart and there's just no point in spending on people who would have converted anyway. Yeah, so that, that that's some of the stuff that I think is really, really positive. And the other stuff is is positive as well. It's just... A little painful, I think, for some people. <laughs> yes, indeed. I mean, you mentioned background data on with iOS 13. I mean, that must have been just decimated. I see, you know, ever, ever so often something will pop up. Such and such app has been using your location or use it wants to use Bluetooth or using this. And do you right. want to continue? And by default, I guess I, I, I'm mostly clicking no. <laughs> right. I, I click no. I tap no. Also, unless it's I don't know, like. Sometimes I I find myself and it it annoys me that I do this. I'm just so quick to just tap something to remove a notification that sometimes I think I I tap yes by mistake, but I always mean to tap no. (laughs) I wonder how many people are tapping yes by mistake also. Exactly, exactly. So we just released the singular ROI index, uh, big index, billions of dollars worth of spend, billions of app installs, looking at what ad networks and what platforms are out there that are really driving value for advertisers, for user acquisition specialists, uh, others like that. I'm going to mention the name of a platform that is in the index. You tell me what comes to mind. Uh, So we'll play a little game here. First of all, I'm going to say TikTok. Yeah. So, I mean, TikTok is growing like crazy. You know, that's not like news to anybody, <laughs> but they don't, you know, they don't have the level of targeting that you can do on other platforms. It's still like really early though. And I know that buyers, I think are pretty excited, but I do think there is a, a limit to how many things like branded hashtags, hashtag challenges that people will participate in. I mean, that that's you know really, really big right now, but the monetization opportunity is, is obviously really really enormous. And I feel like you can look to China, like to see what the future might hold in this in this instance and many. Yes. Because I, I believe that the Chinese version of TikTok, Duyan, is that how you pronounce yes. it? So your guess is as good as mine, Allison. Okay. Well, D-O-U-Y-I-N. Um, I believe they sell um, programmatically 
but that is not the case with um, you know, TikTok, which is, you know, in every market other than China. So I think it's only a matter of time before, you know, that kind of capability comes to TikTok in the US and other markets. But I do think also the, oh, the China connection maybe makes some buyers a little bit nervous. There are some brand safety issues for sure. Like I've talked to buyers who are like, like, I do not want anything to do with this. Um, But (laughs) it's also really addicting. I downloaded it to test it out. And also because I was working on a story about it last year and I sunk like hours into watching like a bunch of teenagers dance around. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, how is this happening? I had the exact same thing. I had to download it. It was in the ROI index. I actually did a mini report on it earlier. So I had to, you got to know what you're talking about, right? So you've got to download these platforms, got to play with them. And you look up three hours later and you go like, what just happened? Really, what just happened? I mean, it's just a few seconds here or there. And then, yeah, it adds up to hours. I scared myself. I actually deleted it. <laughs> oh, good for you. I've started making videos on TikTok, but I do not dance. So I'm, I'm sparing the world that I just give little tidbits of wisdom, you know, as I'm as I like to do. But the interesting thing about TikTok for me is it feels so unmonetized so far, at least mm-hmm. what I see. And I'm in Vancouver, Canada, right? You're in New York City. And, and I, I see very few ads on there, very few, way fewer than Instagram. Uh, and so I think that there's a huge opportunity there uh, when they figure it out and get it all get all straightened away. In any For case, sure. let's, let's move on. And I'm going to give you a couple other names that are on the ROI index, uh, Facebook and Google. I'm going to put them together. I haven't heard of them. I'm just <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, Facebook and Google are Facebook and Google. You know, they're they're going to be at the top of like any list. Although what's kind of interesting is that in hearing more and more grumblings here and there about you know, Facebook and, and Google becoming even more black uh, boxish and just layering yes. more automation into the campaign management process. And so, you know, UA managers have, have to adapt to having less control. And in some ways... I've heard people say, oh, it's a good thing because it frees uh, people up to spend more time on strategy rather than spending half your day, you know, jockeying with Excel, you know, and there's a bigger focus on optimizing the creative, which is, which is good. But I mean, you also, you're sacrificing transparency, you know, when, when the optimization just gets sucked into the algorithm. So I just wonder how much further that will go. Exactly. And exactly. The other interesting part is you are spending money so that Facebook is getting smarter. You are spending money so that Google is getting smarter and yeah, you're not you getting any insights. smarter. Yeah. yeah but you <laughs> you are renting. Elsewhere. Exactly. You are you're not renting. an owner. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. Okay. Moving on. Apple search ads. So I know, I know Apple search ads had a big presence in the index this year, but I actually haven't spoken to anyone who's all that excited about them or not excited. Like for whatever reason, people don't talk to me that much about Apple search ads. So I don't know yes. what that yes. what that is. Like it's obviously lucrative. It's a growing part of Apple's business. And in the last earnings call, they, they hit a, a revenue record for the search ads business. They don't mm-hmm. break out like from services, which is 12.7 billion uh, last quarter, which is crazy just in services in one quarter. <laughs> they don't break out like what search ads is of that business, but it's obviously like not insignificant. Yeah. But I mean, that, that said, I find, I find the search ads experience like really basic and really boring. Like it's just yes. competitors at the top of the search page. Like you search for Uber, you get a Lyft ad. You search for Credit Karma, you get, I don't know, like the Experian credit report app you search for 
pick Pixar, you get TikTok. It's just like I, I see it and I gloss over it because it's not what I'm searching for. You know? Yes, yes. I wonder if there's two two reasons there, two things going on for why people are not talking to you about it. One is maybe it's just kind of default. You gotta, you know, pay the tax, the platform tax mm-hmm. almost. You're gonna be there. You know, you know, your competitors are gonna bid against your name or your keywords or other things like that. So you gotta be there. And I also wonder if there's um I think that there, there's there's some sort of a feeling that, hey, this is actually stealing organics because I've got to buy in and somebody would have found me anyways, would have come and downloaded the app anyways, and it's just grabbing the organic. It has a massive click-through rate. It has a massive conversion rate. I, I, it's unequaled by any other platform that I've seen, and, and maybe those are some of the reasons. That's a really interesting point. So maybe good people, it's a little galling. Yes. yes, exactly. So they Don't want to talk mention. about it as like part of their strategy. It's like, you know, whatever. <laughs> we do Apple search ads. Exactly. Cool. I'll mention another one. Amazon. So I actually don't have a lot to say about Amazon because I feel like they don't show up yet in the mm-hmm. app install world, but kind of like watch this space, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't really know what to say about Amazon other than I'm sure they're going to do something and scoop up a bunch of market share like really quickly. I think so too. And I think that mainly right now they're focused on retail and focused on stuff that is for sale, retail for sale on Amazon. And it's kind of similar to Apple search ads in some way. You've got some products for sale on Amazon and you kind of have to buy some of their ads to juice your sales, to get in the algorithm, to start Mm -hmm. selling more. It, it is, it does feel um, analogous to that. And like, again, it's a little bit galling, but you got to do it. Exactly. It's the new shelf space. Hey, paying for shelf space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next couple, I'm going to group them together, Twitter and Snap. So it's, it's interesting to group them together because I was thinking of them together just for the last couple of weeks because I covered both of their earnings. Yes. And I mean, they're, they're very different media sources, but they have a similar problem. Like they're very demand constrained, like not supply constrained. Yes. And Twitter's CFO, Ned Siegel, like he brings that up almost every quarter. I mean, they're all over, you know, the singular index, but like there's clearly like a lot of room to grow. So there's opportunity there, but I mean, Twitter has had some like some hiccups, right? Like they had that problem with their sure. mobile application promotion product and they were sharing user data with third parties and they weren't supposed to. So they put the kibosh on that and now they now they share less data with partners and there was a revenue hit. But I, I really like Twitter. I like Twitter a lot. I mean, I, I'm a, a user of Twitter and... You know, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for them and they always get compared with Facebook, which I just think is super <laughs> unfair. And I mean, you can't deny that they're, you know, really part of the cultural conversation and, and then they're, they're really investing in, and they're, they're super focused on direct response right now. And I know they're working on a revamped ad server. So I think they have some cool stuff like coming. And so I, I hope they do well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you on most of those points. Snap, I, I feel like they have perhaps the most to lose as TikTok grows. What do you think about that? Yeah, I can see that. Although I, I, what's interesting is that like Snap, I mean, they, they always talk about the, you know, the, their access to young people, but it's, it's one of their main selling points, but they're starting to talk a little bit about, you know, older people being interested, older people, the old, like the 30 year olds <laughs> like me. Okay. Because, boomer. I mean, people grow up. <laughs> so I think there's, there's some opportunity for them and, you know, like discover is interesting and they actually have original content on there. So yeah, I, 
I, I think that uh, marketers are also they're they're a little more used to to Snap, and Snap is a very innovative company. You know, a lot of their their innovations get um, used by other companies. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I just don't want to put it past them because they they had some user growth problems. They got dinged by eMarketer last year, and then they just you know that that didn't really stop them. So yeah. What what is super interesting about Snap to me, and you mentioned it, is the original content. So doing really really neat things around that. Doing really neat things with the Bitmoji acquisition and putting mm-hmm. yourself or your emoji into that original content in some ways. And related to that, all the stuff that they're doing with AR, augmented reality, we haven't really seen that from anybody else, including TikTok, including Facebook, including others. And I'm guessing those are some of their strategies for retaining and growing their hold on the youth market. And and they seem to be doing that pretty well. They just, they they have that challenge of being like the R&D lab for Facebook. (laughs) Oh, shoot. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Unofficial. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> unofficial unpaid advisory only yes <laughs> exactly and i'm gonna throw four names together here and there's a reason I'm, I'm throwing them together but maybe you'll think it's absolutely nuts uh, ad colony vungle liftoff app lovin yeah i mean they're all they're, they're they all have their own they're different bits but i mean i i think it's pretty cool to see all of these guys like in the mix and you point this out in the index that it's not all about the giants yes and niche players can you know do well if they've got something to offer unique demand unique demand good creative in in particular though i hear really like good things about app lovin and you know they they have a cool strategy they're investing in in-app bidding they acquired that company max a little while ago they're helping developers publish games at the whole Lion Studio thing and really taking advantage of that whole hyper casual trend and like doing it pretty well. But just just generally, yeah, like it makes sense to me that you group these guys because, you know, there's there's Facebook, there's Google, there's a couple other behemoths and then you know, da, 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 where's everybody else? Well, they're, they're still there. <laughs> like it's it's heartening. And here's the funny thing, right? We're talking about these as if, you know, they're smaller and and, 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 and they are. There's no getting around that. But these are the behemoths of all the other guys, right? There's a thousand ad networks out there. And these are really, really large ones. It's just that when you compare them to big tech, capital B, capital T, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, others like that. I mean, uh, there are very few companies of that scale on the entire planet. Apple Evans, a unicorn. Vungle got that $750 investment. Huge. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Excellent. I'm going to throw out one more name and I put this separate for a reason and maybe you'll agree. Maybe you won't. Unity. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like uh, I don't know a ton. I feel like I should know more, but I do associate them with like good creative, mm-hmm. just like high quality creative. But then again, I, I I only play a few games, but the, the games I play, like the creative is generally terrible. So when there's good creative... It like really rises above, but that's my main association. And I know they power, you know, their, their infrastructure for a lot of game development, which gives them a really interesting purview. That's what's most interesting to me. I mean, they power 50% of the mobile games on the planet, right? And, and that is something that's super interesting to me. They do well in the ROI index, but not as well as you might expect, given that fact, they've got huge competition, obviously from the Facebooks and the Googles, but mm-hmm. the, the, the interesting part for me is with this role as the infrastructure for global gaming, can they build something of sufficient scale and scope that 
they can start to challenge even those massive, massive players. It remains to be seen. You know, there's lots of data components. You you see, they, they definitely see pretty much all the gamers on the planet, but but can they tie that together and draw actionable inferences from that to the quality that they need to, to really be the, the, the dominant player that potentially they could be? I don't know. I, 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 it's another watch this space and I would be super interested to see them pull together all of their data assets and you know, do something that's really competitive, but it does seem like really, really early days in that regard. But yeah, yeah, but good. J- just like to bring it back to creative for a second though, I just I wanted to ask your opinion on like what you think mobile creative, you know, is from a, how, how, how good mobile creative is now because i feel like there's a wide gulf between the good stuff and the bad stuff there's a lot of junk and it's it's really like that that's disheartening like i i see i feel like a lot of casino games showing like quote-unquote real people winning money and then those same people who are really just like actors show up shilling for another game a couple of ads later <laughs> the frequency is like nuts like why is that still happening it's a good question. I mean, sheesh, I'm supposed to ask them, not answer them Sorry. on this podcast, but it's all good. Thanks. You know, it, for, for, from, a, from a user acquisition or a mobile growth specialist point of view, there's no good creative, there's no bad creative, there's creative that works. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of the baseline right there. But the problem with that is that all advertising, all marketing is both brand and performance at the same time. Whether you're trying to be brand marketing, there's some performance there. Whether you're trying to be performance, there's some brand there. And are you willing to have your brand associated with the kind of thing that you just mentioned? Some really crappy video of some obvious actor theoretically winning hundreds or thousands of dollars while their spouse is snoring in the bed next to them or something like this. We've seen the same ads, I guess, (laughs) right? Do you want your brand associated with that? Some people don't care. But if you're supercell, you care very deeply and they use creative that's super high level and they'll use the same creative for unimaginable lengths of time for many other mobile growth specialists for three months, six months, even longer. And it still stays relevant and it still works because it's super high quality. So uh, that's kind of a non-answer in some ways, but it really depends what you want to do. Do you want to win now or do you want to win now and tomorrow? And if you want to win now and be well set up for tomorrow, you better have a certain quality level in your creative that isn't just about getting that install right now, but is also about, hey, getting a positive brand impression for your app, for your company and and, and building a longer term relationship. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And I hear that too. Brand and performance are not separate things or should not be treated separately despite always being treated separately. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So back to the regular scope of things here and me asking the questions. Right. I love I love this. It's all good. Sometimes you get to see as a journalist behind the curtain of some major marketing platforms, some ad networks, you get some sneak peeks here and there. Tell us something we don't know. So I was really, I was struggling to think of something and it's because like funnily enough, I don't always get to see behind the real curtain. 
Like I get demos and I get pitches and I get walkthroughs and press releases. And it's a really big job getting beyond the BS. Like it really, really is. There's just an awful lot in almost every pitch I get. For example, companies claim that their technology or their new feature or whatever it is, is like the the first of its kind, which is just simply (laughs) not possible. And so like as a non-practitioner, I I feel more qualified just like pointing out some trends, but like really seeing behind the curtain is not something people don't want journalists behind the curtain. You have to fight your way behind the curtain. And then they're just like, no, look over here. Look over there. Don't look at the thing. So it's it's actually really tricky. But I, I was thinking about your question you know, in, in preparation. And I wanted to flip it around a little bit and tell you something that I don't think a lot of ad networks realize and also just ad tech companies, which is that and this is bringing it back to what we were just talking about at the sort of the top of the podcast, but it's that regulators and like entities like the Federal Trade Commission, they're way more tech savvy than you might think. And they have an appetite, like a real appetite to understand the intricacies of how ad tech works wow. and how apps monetize and grow and also all different kinds of, of advertising related technologies because of the data collection component. And just as, as an example, I was at a workshop in Washington, D.C. In, in October about the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which the FTC you know, might be updating fairly soon. They've collected a bunch of comments and they're, they're working on that. And an academic from the University of Michigan, she gave a presentation about uh, potential policy implications of app design and, and data collection, really through the lens of, of COPPA. She put up a series of slides as part of her talk, and each one showed, and there were like five or six of them, a different game app that was targeted at kids. Some of them were like 10 plus, some were, you know, like 12 plus. And the permissions that the app has, the data it shares, and with which partners it's sharing that data. And she pointed out that a lot of the ads that pop up in these games, they're inappropriate for a kid audience. They have like sexy content or violent content. And also made the point like how unlikely it is that any of the apps you know, that she was showcasing were getting the required permission for data collection from parents for children under 13, which is what's yes. required under COPPA. And I mean, just a bunch of the names on the slides are names you'd recognize, names that appear in Singular's 2020 ROI index. So I think it's just something that companies should be aware of, like to keep your ducks in a row, because you don't want to get called out for doing something iffy or fishy, especially if everybody's doing it, but you don't want to be the example. And you shouldn't assume that people are not aware of how your industry works. And I think some people operate under that delusion. Super interesting, super valuable comment, and really appreciate that. There's That's something to not be to scare 100%. Anybody. That is a little bit. And, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of companies in the past half a year alone who've been dragged into the national spotlight in some big story, Mm -hmm. not because of uh, something that they've done, although in this case you're talking about that sort of thing, but some of their partners, some of the uh, APIs or SDKs that they've allowed into their app, right? So you do need to be aware of these things very, very, at a very, very high level. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, at a high level and like, you know, just with granularity. Yes, yes, exactly. So we've seen plenty of startups over the past few years kind of worshiping this goddess of growth, growth at all costs, you know, super funded startups the last few years, maybe a cash as a strategy effort kind of by SoftBank and others that are just pouring money into a leading contender in the space. That seems to be changing now. We see SoftBank pulling back. We see others pulling back. How do you think that's going to impact the advertising and marketing spaces? 
Well, I feel like marketers still have money to spend. They just, they need to be more judicious. Like for example, you know, third-party cookies are on the way out, but that doesn't mean that advertisers are, you know, going to completely stop spending on the web. They'll just have to spend differently. And, you know, speaking of like cookie deprecation, like some of that display money from web is probably going to come like to app apps over the next couple of years, you know, especially since there's still a device ID for now. <laughs> yes. So I mean, so like, hopefully what will happen is that in reaction to, yeah, this, this growth at all costs obsession, you know, marketers will, maybe this is Pollyanna of me, they'll begin to spend more intelligently to think about strategy, maybe focus more on retention and lifetime value, which is you know, like a sign of maturation. And yes. then, you know, like, hopefully, like, between that, you know, and, and the future is a dotted line where, you know, at the end of it is growth and retention beginning to merge more just in terms of mindset and in terms of practice, because that feels like the point, right? Like not growth at all costs, but, and then just, that's it, you know, like fade to black. I mean, you want customers <laughs> to stick around. Yes, you do. We just saw some data from, I believe it was Aptopia, which contrasted Lyft and Uber in the United States and their growth rates which are converging. Lyft is approaching the size of Uber in the US and it's not because they're spending more. In fact, they're spending way less on marketing, but their retention rate is higher. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, Lyft just might or might not be a customer of Singulars, which we are happy to see. It wasn't data that published or, or anything like that, but super interesting to see that, hey, if you have good retention, that really impacts how much money you need to spend on marketing. Uh, you're in this endless rat race of new customers, new customers, new customers, new downloads, new installs. Well, you know, that churns through a lot of cash. And if you could just keep some of those, maybe get the right ones and, and keep them a little longer, you save yourself literally hundreds of millions of dollars at the high level. So super interesting answer. I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it just feels like really, it feels short-sighted to just focus on growth. You know, yes. it's it's a yeah. it's a bigger thing than just getting the install, which I feel like people have been saying forever. <laughs> Haven't they? Reality. Haven't they? Yes, exactly. Let's talk about you specifically now. We've been talking about advertising, we've been talking about marketing. What kind of advertising do you personally like? What works on you? So I can tell you something that really worked on me recently, which is subway ads in the New York subway. <laughs> I mean, I can give you an example. I mean, I know a freelancer who was having some trouble getting health insurance and I was riding the subway a couple weeks ago and I saw an ad on the subway for this company called Trupo, which provides insurance for freelancers. So I sent him a text. I'm like, here you yeah. go. I mean, it was, it was also one of those things really hard uh, to attribute that, but- Will you ever attribute that? It's impossible. impossible. <laughs> but it worked on me and- I know Casper's having some trouble right now on the uh, public markets, but there was this series of Casper mattress ads on the subway with, with word games. And I yeah. actually found myself sitting there playing them, like doing them in my head because I didn't have um, internet. Um, so this was a playable that. ad in the real world, a playable ad without technology. Yeah. With my brain. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I, I've heard, I, I know Instagram ads work really pretty well, but I, I have a confession to make. I don't really use Instagram, which is, I, I know, ridiculous. Everybody uses Instagram. And I, although I, I feel like the, the frequency on YouTube is, is pretty out of control, at least for, for me, when I fall down one of those rabbit holes, I, I have seen like some 
like really longer form YouTube ads that that ad for purple mattresses a while ago. Yes. You know, poo pourri. Like they're really they're like like mini movies and they're super entertaining and. I actually watched some of them all the way through like multiple times, two, three times. <laughs> wow. I think you're telling us that you're in the market for a mattress. I, I, I actually really am. You probably don't. You were like, oh, let's talk about you. Okay. So I'll tell you a really quick story about myself. <laughs> I have like a nine-year-old um, I, Ikea um, mattress that used to be, it's like a sofa bed that turns into a mattress and it's so old, you can't even turn it into a sofa bed anymore. I mean, it is dead. So <laughs> you need a mattress. Excellent. Excellent. We'll see if we can get one for you. you. (laughs) We'll just spread this around, get you targeted. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. So let's conclude with this. And this one is maybe the toughest question that I'm going to ask you because you got to start prognosticating. How do you see the marketing world changing over the next few years? And, And maybe secondarily, how do you want it to change? So I actually feel like the, those two questions can be answered with the same answer and that I'm really safe in my prognostication when I say that privacy is the watchword, because like putting aside whether it's, it's even possible to maintain your privacy or keep a handle on data collection in the digital world because the barn door is sort of open. I mean, there is an increasing focus on data usage and collection. And I mean, that's one of the trends that's just going to shape 2020 and um, definitely beyond. And it's going to be, like, I think it's going to be really uncomfortable for some companies, you know, even though people love to talk about how privacy is an opportunity for us. Just like if I hear one more time someone saying <laughs> third party cookies on the way out is a real opportunity. I'm like, that is not what you say when I'm not around. It's like... <laughs> When someone asks you in a job interview, you know, like what your greatest flaw is and you say something like, oh, I'm just, I'm too much of a perfectionist. (laughs) But I think if you're a fly on the wall, like attribution providers, analytics companies, and, you know, mobile ad tech companies, there's like a lot of, you know, confusion about how to proceed. It's, it's an interesting time to be alive, but also, you know, challenging. And so, yeah, so I I think, I think privacy is going to be a, a, blanket over the next like number of years but i don't know how that exactly you know impacts the industry but it it has to i mean it already is starting to yes yes i I can't agree more go ahead sorry oh no no you go ahead i'm I'm just like talking to you now i'm like like in love with the sound of my own voice you talk for a second (laughs) oh it's all good it's super interesting what you said though because i mean you mentioned incrementality earlier right and in a world where uh privacy reigns and device IDs, third-party cookies, other things like that fade away or maybe are not as supported or maybe just go away hard, then incrementality becomes even more and more important. And I haven't seen too many platforms that can really measure that super easily. The people that I've talked to that do incrementality studies, that's challenging. That's hard. They work through that. That's not super easy. So we might see a lot of innovation in that area. Uh, for sure. And there, I, I know Google and Facebook are also investing a lot in incrementality and that there's some reticence among, you know, buyers. They're not really sure how much they want to run their incrementality tests through <laughs> a self-attributed platform. But I mean, Facebook and Google know how important incrementality is. They definitely do. And I mean, every time I see that, and I'm not just saying that because I obviously do some work with Singular, but every time I see that, I kind of laugh because, okay, I can get incrementality there, but I'm seeing sort of the Google slice of the universe. Then I'm seeing sort of the Facebook slice of the universe. I'm sorry, but I need to see the whole universe. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a big slice, but it's a slice. I mean, yeah, it's a big life we live. We don't just live on, on Facebook. And sometimes we are in the subway and we see ads that we play and we text our friends about them and they buy something. There you go. And yeah, attribute that Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you. I've always enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy. I know you've got a million stories to write. I know you got to run off this very second and get them done. But I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I am on deadline. I got to go. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for listening to Growth Masterminds. This has been Allison Skiff that we've been listening to, and my name is John Kutsir. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate it, review it, like it, share it. And until next time, thank you so much.